Hello, and welcome to my podcast, The Meiji Restoration, A China Contrast. This is Episode 4, Charter Oath. last episode, I ended the Edo period, or the Tokugawa Shogunate, its other name. I discussed the coup d'etat that was led by a group of discontented, young, and lesser-level samurais that began the Meiji era, or the Meiji Restoration. They restored the emperor as the cultural and religious leader of Japan, and they made the government center around his office. In this episode, I want to discuss the specific conditions the Japanese found themselves at that time, their efforts to legitimatize the new government, and the all-important charter oath made by the emperor, as well as Japan's diplomatic relations. It is important to realize the new government was on shaky ground. The new leaders of this government would try to build a government and government infrastructure from nothing. This was not like going from one imperial dynasty to another, where at least the imperial circumstances and the ideas would have been similar. No. This was different. Japan, in a matter of only a few years, went from a feudal dictatorship to an imperial republic. Most unusual, I would think, that a revolution caused by the aristocrats, the samurais, worked to impose a sort of imperial democracy. Weird. So not only did they have internal legitimacy problems, this new government, but also they had external legitimacy problems as well. Think about this for a minute. What foreign nation is going to risk its credibility recognizing the Meiji government with anything other than a skeptical eye? This new government would have to prove itself and fast. One of the major factors that provided the impetus for these changes in Japan was the presence of foreigners and the hostility the Japanese had from the treaty humiliations. Japan was more vulnerable than ever at that moment. Think about this backdrop as I discuss Japan's efforts to become a dominant world leader. Japan particularly the young samurai leaders of the Meiji government, made westernization and modernization nearly a single-minded, obsessed goal, as we shall see. One of the things the Meiji Restoration did was to connect the emperor back in Japan's history to antiquity. This helped legitimatize him 
to the Japanese people. The emperor was viewed as a symbol of Japanese culture. He was also head of the Shinto religion, which was Japan's native religion. Shinto holds that the emperor is descended from the gods that created Japan. Therefore, the emperor is semi-divine. But, as I noted already, he had no political power, just ceremonial. A group of young leaders would lead the new government at first. Their ages ranged from 27 to 41 years of age. None of them had much in administrative or diplomatic experience. But they had vision and desire. Within the Meiji government's first five years, they began a compulsory educational system, created a completely conscripted military, set out in diplomatic missions, abolished the feudal system, created a revenue taxing system, negotiated or tried to negotiate treaties with their neighbors, adopted the yen as their unit of value, and they reorganized the country's administrative apparatus, to name just a few, and there were many, many more. In early 1868, before the shogunate and its government had been disposed, the Charter Oath was created. It has been referred to as Japan's first constitution. I like to think about the Charter Oath as the goals of the Meiji movement. I've also seen this document referred to as the Imperial Oath of Five Articles. And the oath was taken and declared by the Meiji Emperor and ostensibly sworn to before the ancestral deities. Now, I don't read or speak Japanese, so I have not seen the actual oath. But I have seen Western translations of the same, and they do differ, but in essence, they all say or imply the same. The oath declared, one, a legislative, deliberative body would be created. Its purpose was to decide all state matters through vigorous public debate. Number two, all classes of people were equal and shall unite to carry out the plan of government. Number three, Everyone should be allowed to pursue whatever vocation they wanted. Article 4. Evil and useless customs shall be discontinued, and new customs shall be based on just laws of nature. And finally, the fifth article. Seek knowledge throughout the world in order to improve the empire. Shortly after the release of the Charter Oath, subsequent pronouncements were also made by the new leaders. These, in combination with the Charter Oath, would make it clear the citizens should be focusing on national goals rather than their own individual goals. It seems pretty clear to me the goal's emphasis was, one, forget the past practices and the norms, and two, focus now 
on what is best for Japan. As early as 1871, some resistance and dissension from some of the early leaders began to be expressed. These would play a more prominent role later in the 1870s. The aggressive actions undertaken by this group of young Meiji leaders started to rub some the wrong way. And by 1872, it was becoming increasingly difficult to get consensus on major issues affecting the country. Some wanted a strict model of government based on the ancient Shinto prerogatives. Others, more Western-minded, did not believe that was a good idea. The others did not want to go to the Shinto model because it did not fit modern circumstances and it was not practical. A decisive break occurred between the political core of the Restoration leadership. Despite the break, however, all sides of the political core were united about some things, about some issues. They did not like the unequal treaties imposed on them by the foreign powers. That was almost unanimous. And the Japanese leaders knew they could not force the will of the foreign powers, not yet anyway, so they needed a strategy. Before I get into that strategy, I want to talk one short moment about how the Meiji reformed its revenue-generating system. In the shogunate, you may recall, the primary revenue source for the elite was the rice tax that was imposed on farmers. That was all changed in early 1870s when the Meijis took over. Instead, the principal source of revenue for the Meiji government would be an ad valorem land tax based on its assessed value of a flat 3%. This is an idea the Japanese got from the West. It would be the landowners, not the producing farmers, that would now be responsible for the tax. From this land tax, the Meiji government could pay the bonds they had issued early on to raise revenue for all sorts of things. This also gave the government a stable and ready revenue source. A huge financial burden the new government put on itself were the stipends, pensions, they offered to all of the samurais that no longer had a role in the Meiji government. At that time, it was estimated it consumed one-third of, its re- of, of the country's revenue. Remember, the Meiji Restoration ended not only the shogunate, but 700 years of samurai rule. Another enormous financial burden they put on themselves was the assumption of all the debt of the old domains. In doing so, the domains were officially changed to prefectures. Korea attracted the Japanese for the same reasons it attracted the Chinese. Its strategic location and rich deposits of iron and coal And in 1873, there was a bit of a dust-up with Korea. The two nations nearly went to war. 
early on in the Meiji government, it sent out diplomatic missions to its neighbors. It secured a friendship and mutual protection treaty with China in 1871. Japan attempted to do the same with Korea. To make it even more interesting, in 1868, Korea disrespected the Meiji government. Korea would not recognize and refused to accept the Meiji emperor, Mushuhito, as Japan's emperor. But not before some of the Meiji leaders got upset over disagreements whether to invade Korea or not. I think these two early events involving China and Korea Korea reveal two things. One, the new government desperately, desperately wanted and needed international recognition and legitimacy. And number two, how very shaky and unsure the new government stood. Perhaps one of the grandest and boldest steps the young Meiji government took in the diplomacy area was its decision to visit the West. The Irakura mission as it is known, was organized in the, late 18, in, in the late 1871. Its objectives were manifold. First and foremost, Japan wanted to renegotiate the unequal treaties it had with several Western nations. Secondarily, the mission was to acquire cultural, technological, and military knowledge from these nations they visited. Iwakari Tomami led the mission, and with him he had several high-ranking Japanese officials, including some that had lived in the West and were fluent in English. Also with them were numerous young students that would stay in the West and attend the universities there. Iwakura Tomami also had with him a letter from the emperor outlining the mission's aims, and it was given to the four nations they visited. The letter did not hide the mission's objectives. To renegotiate the treaties, to promote diplomatic relations, to seek support for the imperial regime, and to learn cultural, technological, and military intelligence. The mission visited the USA, then England, then France, and Germany, Russia, Holland, Belgium, Sweden, Switzerland, and Italy. Truly ambitious. It left Japan in December of 1871 and arrived in the United States on January 15, 1872. Why was the United States first? This was not an accident or coincidence. This was because the Japanese felt the United States would be more accommodating than England or France. If they could secure these agreements and this cooperation from the United States, it would help them later in dealing with these other European countries. Despite the mission's optimism, the primary objective was squelched from the very beginning. The United States simply played one Western nation off the other. 
officially, the U.S. told the Japanese delegation that before it could agree to any changes to the treaty, it would have to consult with the other affected nations. Keep in mind what was at stake here for the new Japanese government. The treaties were a serious impediment to Japanese autonomy. Because of the treaty's tariffs and duty limits, Japanese lost out on huge sums of revenue. The mission, however, was not all lost. The technology and culture observations and education part of it was fruitful. The delegation left the United States greatly impressed by America's educational system. This knowledge would help Japan build their education system. From the United States, the envoy went to England with the same goals at hand. They arrived at Liverpool in August 1872. They then arrived in France in December of 1872. After spending two months in France, there they went to Germany, then to Russia, then to Belgium, then to Switzerland, then to Holland, then to Sweden, and then Italy finally returning to Japan in 1873. The mission's basic conclusion was that adopting Western institutions and law into Japan would not be enough to transform Japanese society. That heavy lifting would only come by a vigorous educational indoctrination something the Meiji government was willing to push. Despite the envoy's inexperience and the failure to get any treaty concessions, the mission successfully showed Japan the way forward if it wished to someday compete economically and militarily against the West. Certainly, a strong military was necessary the Westerners would not go away quietly or automatically, and the Japanese knew that. After a failed assassination attempt on Irokura Tomami's life in 1874, the new military would see its first action to squelch the people that led the revolt to assassinate or, or attempt to assassinate Irokura Tomami. And another non-military type domestic crisis would come soon. Next episode, I'll finish out the 1870s and talk about the Satsuma Rebellion, or it's also known as the Sinan War. I'll also talk about Japan's relationship with China, and it will deteriorate. They will also conclude a treaty with Korea and talk about the Ryukyu Island Nation. Thank you. It has been a pleasure.